Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to No Particular Hurry. I'm Dave Early. Listening to this guest today talk hoops is a pleasure. This person is sort of like a Woj or a Zach Lowe of ESPN if they spent all day every day thinking New York hoops, Knicks and Nets. But beyond the credibly sourced work, this guest will also share on his digital platform some rumors and whispers. So as a fan in a game of NBA Clue, you could be like, oh, it was Daryl Morey in the war room with the cell phone or Brock Aller versus Tom Tabato with Leon Rose is the only witness and feel like an NBA insider connecting some dots. Uh, NBA inside reporter for SNY and host of the putback at SNY.TV's weekly digital NBA show. Ian Begley is one of the very best in the game. Very, very excited to welcome Ian today to the pod. Without further ado, let's talk to Ian. How you doing, Ian? Dave, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm real good. I'm real good. I'm really, really excited to have you. Uh, Definitely a dream guest of mine, so I'm going to absolutely pepper you with questions in your wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> I know you've covered the Knicks for a long time. I know you're on the Nets beat, Knicks and Nets now. So let's start with the biggest question. Would you be excited? Would it be a dream? Would your head explode if the Knicks and the Nets met in the playoffs or not mutually exclusive, all of the above? <laughs> Probably all of the above, Dave. First of all, I want to say it's – I'm so happy to be here, man. We've been talking about doing this for a while. I'm glad we've made it happen. And uh, it's always fun to talk hoops yeah. with you and to see your hoops takes uh, on the website or on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, it would that. be it would be all the above because because, uh, you know, it would be a lot of work. It would be great stories. And uh, you know, I don't know if my my wife would be in favor of it, <laughs> but the the reporter in me would be in uh, in favor. It would be a lot of fun. What would what would Barclay Center sound like at game one? How would the Knicks I think fans it depends on out? oh I see what you're saying. So usually it's 50%, right? It's it's a split crowd at Barclays, usually. Now given the the limited crowd, I yeah, I wasn't in the building, I wasn't at Barclays for Knicks Nets during the season, but guys who were there, uh, men and women who were there, the reporters were saying that it was still a mixed crowd, a lot of Knicks fans. So I would imagine it would be the same thing, uh, around 50% split. I don't see any reason why it would be different. Um, well, I can give you one playoffs. reason. They've made the mm. playoffs once in like, what, eight years ago. But before that, what is it, a 20-year drought. So it wouldn't right. be a surprise if Knicks fans were just ravenous for those tickets. I guess, yeah, and that's a good point. I guess once the tickets hit the secondary market, you know, it's it's uh, the highest bidder will get the tickets. So maybe that'll be the case. But you know the Nets. I, I think they will. They will get their own people in the building. I don't think they will. Uh, you know, I don't. They, I don't know how much control it would have over it. But whatever they can control, I'm sure they'll make sure that their own people 
<clears throat> own people are in that building for game one if we do get that Nick Net series. That'd be fun. How hard do you think the Nets will push? They got two in Milwaukee, in Dallas, in Denver, but they have shown almost a, a brazen disregard for the one seed in terms of prioritizing load management, it feels mm -hmm. like. Yeah, and I think it'll continue to be that way. You know, they they haven't wanted Kevin Durant on back-to-backs. They haven't wanted Blake Griffin to play back-to-backs uh, over much of the regular season. And I don't see them, um, you know, deviating from that approach with regards to rest and keeping guys fresh uh, just because the number one seed is on the line. They've taken a big-picture look at uh, – big-picture approach, rather, to how they're playing guys, how they're resting guys for all for the whole season so i don't see it changing at this point um i, I would assume that they're gonna continue with that approach and like james harden you might not see him for the rest of the regular season and you might not even see him at the start of the playoffs that's excuse me that's what steve nash was saying the other day so so he's not load management that's a real hamstring that's real back yeah, to square real. one yep yeah. And Kevin Durant had a real hamstring that kept him out. I wasn't sure how conservative they were with his return to play program, but. You know, I think they were being conservative because it's Kevin Durant and because he was coming off uh, that significant surgery uh, yeah. and he looked great coming off of it. So they wanted to be as conservative as possible, I think, with his injury. But that's hardened hamstring is real. Like if he he's a gamer. So if he's close to healthy, he's going to play. But he re-aggravated it after coming back from it the first time. And then he aggravated it during a rehab. So I remember it's, that. it's a tricky thing here. And I, and I think that, um, that it shows you how cautious they're trying to be with it when they say he might not even be back for the start of the postseason. And, you know, if you're the Nets, you can afford to have Harden uh, sit out, you know, that first series in theory because you'll roll through whoever it is. But it's, it's, a, it's an issue for them because those guys – Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, they've only played together for, I think, 180 minutes this season, which is crazy. Yeah. Kyrie and, and reserves has been like as good as a four seed, you know, on pace this season. So, yeah, yeah. they'd be there with the with the Hawks battling for for home court, I, I would imagine. Yeah, um, he's been fantastic, Kyrie. Let's say that both Doc Rivers and Steve Nash, one of them won the one seed. Yeah, and, and let's say the Knicks won the four seed. Who's your coach of the year, excluding the Western Conference candidates? So Doc wins the one seed, or yeah. Nash wins the one seed, Dibs wins the the four seed. Who's your coach of the year? You you know the the Nash Tibbs argument to me is closer than than people want to admit locally. With Doc, I don't know what you think, but I, you know the team has a lot of talent. He certainly has done a great job coaching them. I don't want to take away from what he's done. But when you look at the other factors in New York and in Brooklyn, to me, it just seems like that would put Nash and Thibodeau ahead of Doc Rivers. Your your listeners and your fan base will probably disagree, but that's I just look at it uh, objectively that way. And so I don't know that we would. I, we're, we often are pretty. Oh yeah, you guys are probably crushing Doc Rivers every night after that's, every loss. That's more realistic. Every rotation. <laughs> Why are you playing Dwight with Ben again? <laughs> <laughs> How does George Hill fit in? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, Doc probably gets too much unfair criticism. I, I personally would vote for Tibbs of in that scenario. Yeah. Um, my next question there is: yeah, I think you're right. If you took Alfred Payton and you took Reggie Bullock out of the lineup and you inserted you and I, could Tibbs win the four seed? <laughs> 
Oh my God, Tibbs! I would have I would have a pulled hamstring after uh, eight minutes into the game. So <laughs> I don't think he I don't think I'd help him win anything. Uh, <laughs> but you know the 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 idea that he has coached like masterfully this year. You you hit it on the head. And so you know Steve Nash, the Nets have been great despite all this adversity. But he's had a lot of talent. I think what what argument the argument that somebody around Tibbs made to me was if you put Steve Nash on the Knicks and you put Tom Thibodeau on the Nets would the records be the same or better? You know, how would they be different? And, you know, I have to think Nash with this Nick team, I don't think they would be as good as they have been with Thibodeau because these guys have completely bought into the way he coaches, the way he holds them accountable, especially on the defensive end. And, and you look at how Julius Randle's played this year compared to last year. There's so many things you can point to for Thibodeau as why he should be in the running for that coach of the year award. Is Randall a franchise player? Do you think he's going to command a max this offseason? You know, they can extend him at a number that seems to me to be kind of middle of the road between team friendly and player friendly. They, I think they can extend him to four years and around a hundred, a little over a hundred million. So 120% you know, of his current, like the right. Bulls could offer Levine. Right, right. So, you know, to me, that seems like a good number for both sides. I don't know if Randall after this season would want to wait until unrestricted free agency and see if he can get more. I don't know what he's thinking there, but from a Nick perspective, I think it makes sense to lock him up, to offer him that extension if you can, because, you know, franchise player, you know, that to me has different definitions for different franchises, but for right now with Randall, he is clearly a piece that you want to build with moving forward. I, I'm I don't doing know. the math in my head. Is there a road to supermax eligibility for him? 2014, seven years, going into his eighth year, you'd have to make an all NBA. I don't think I don't think so. If he made an all NBA this year and then maybe again next year. You would have to do it twice. Um this is, there might be a scenario that I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. he could maybe he could if he hits that twice. Um, but that, you know, to me. <laughs> That, uh, Julius Randle's been fantastic, but if he gets eligible for that, that's where things might get sticky because I don't think the Knicks, you know, would want to go there, you know, unless he comes back next year and has an MVP season and says, and he tells you and shows you that he is this guy, period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there. Uh, at the very least, it's just fascinating to me because you go back to this past offseason, teams thought Randle would be available via trade last offseason and, you know, over the course of the year. And then the next draft, they'll be topping player who plays at Julius Randle's position. So all the signs were pointing towards a, a divorce between the Knicks and Randle. And then he comes back great offseason and has had an all-star year and he's been fantastic. So I talked to the Knicks film school guys. They couldn't pawn Randle off onto me onto the Sixers. I didn't, I didn't want him. I didn't see the talent. I didn't know what was coming. Um, but that, but it's interesting you brought up the supermax because uh, James Harden played three I think three seasons under his supermax in Houston before he said I, I'm gonna get fat I'm getting out of here. <laughs> but that that was bit pretty much the biggest move of the entire season and in many ways defined and it came down to the Nets and the Sixers. Do you have any insight on how that went down? Like what I've heard was there was a, a Tillman Fertitta tax posed on Maury. So that even if he offered three picks and Ben Simmons, Maxie and Thibel, they didn't want to work with him. Do you know anything about that? You know, I'd heard whispers about it too. Just the idea that there was a tax, uh, but I, you know, I heard it from other teams. So it, 
I didn't I didn't have it strongly enough to report, but it, you know, to me, that's not how you do business. I mean, you're 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 taking the best deals that you can get off the table, uh, just out of spite. And uh, you know, for Tita, it seems the way this deal has, the way the deal happened, the way things have progressed, are they just not trying to spend any money? I mean, that's that's the perception, right? Whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, but it seems like that's. All signs are pointing to that because you're taking your best deals off the table um, initially, and then you do the deal, and you're getting all the depot back. A player who you're probably going to lose in free agency because yeah. you're not going to pay him, and you passed up on, you know, getting a Karis Levert or a Jared Allen, two players who you would have to pay eventually. So just a strange, strange situation down there in Houston. The Nets obviously benefited from it. You know, I was told early on before the season that. Kevin Durant wanted this. Like he, he wanted it. He saw it as a possibility. He wanted it to happen. But I don't – and I was also told that not every net was fully on board with the idea of this deal. And, wow. you know, there was some – I don't – Jared Allen. Well, I, well not, not even the guys who were obviously in the trade. And so I can't tell you, like, how they got from that place to, to getting everybody on board or if every everyone – uh, didn't eventually get on board and they just did the deal. But the fascinating thing to me there too is if the Nets had done the deal in the offseason, I have to think you know, Spencer Dinwiddie would, would have been moved in the offseason. And now they didn't move him and they didn't trade him before the trade deadline, which a lot of teams expected him to get moved. So just interesting to me to see how things will progress there with Dinwiddie and the Nets. Maybe he comes back to the team in a few weeks as he does his rehab but is he gonna be there long term I, I still don't see it uh, but stranger things have happened well if I'm reading the tea leaves to what you said Durant wanted it some guys that were not going to be traded didn't want it I'm wondering about Kyrie because I wouldn't even ask DeAndre <laughs> and right. Kyrie, Kyrie has a reputation as being a weird guy have you seen any of that covering the team you know just when he left the team without proper properly communicating it that really didn't sit well with the nets um they made that clear by what they didn't say publicly about it and so that that sticks out to me but i said at the time like if things go sideways for brooklyn this is gonna the Kyrie leaving without a good explanation to the team is gonna be looked at as a big issue here but if they steamroll the rest of the year it'll be a blip on the radar and that to me is what it's been because Kyrie on the court has been fantastic. Oh, just ridiculous. Unbelievable. Brilliant, oh. brilliant season. He's so Kyrie good. Irving. So good. And so to their credit, you know, they, they kept the ship moving amid, through that, through injuries, uh, through losing guys to pro COVID protocol. And here they are. They're still one of the best teams in the league. And um, they're in a pretty good place going into the postseason, if you if you take away the health of James Harden, that's obviously the big concern. But to me, that's a credit to Kyrie Irving because he just performed, period. Regardless of what he did or didn't do off the floor, he just performed. So uh, it's it is it's interesting to me that you know he's not getting consideration for the MVP. I understand why he wouldn't be in the conversation because he didn't hasn't played like he missed significant time and James Harden showed why he's really valuable to that team when he was healthy. Oh, but man. Kyrie, you just look at his numbers. He's just been otherworldly this year. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have 
every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Either of those two in this Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash style of play, I remember the game where uh, the, the Suns were fully loaded and Harden went in there on the back-to-back and beat him without any other superstars available. Um, so, yeah, this, this team is just clicking. let's talk about uh competing with them the knicks let's say the knicks don't don't win the finals this year it's not a huge leap Uh, i think they'll have about 50 million to spend if big names like Kawhi leonard are off the board do you think they would look into a chris paul or a kyle lowry and try to lure one of those so i i do expect them to at least have those guys under consideration Lowry, Paul, if he opts out, uh, Conley, and uh, you know Dennis Schroeder. We talked about as as somebody who's on their radar. You covered Lonzo. Lonzo's on was on their radar prior to the trade deadline. So I have to think that they will assess all those situations. I can't tell you the, their degree of interest in any of those specific guys, but given where they are, given who's coaching the team. You know, I, I would be surprised if they didn't at least see what the price tag was for players like that, for those veteran point guards. And so, because you're missing, that's your missing piece here is, is a they need a uh, lead guard, yeah, a one, yeah. So, to me, you know, if you can't, I don't know how you prioritize it, but you have to look at every situation available available to you um, in the off season with regard to to lead guard um, to see who you can get and to see how that player would fit your group. It, your own Weitzman wrote a really good piece, and he talked about like maybe this interplay between Brock Aller, who had a more patient mindset, and Tom, who, who you know wants to win every game imaginable. Do you think Tom has garnered some bigger ear share of Leon Rose where he might say, hey, let's push this offseason, or let's push at latest 2022 for a Levine or a Beal? I'm not waiting for 2024 when guys like Book and Mitchell are available. You know, I think that with regards to Tom's voice, he certainly has a voice of influence. Um, and that was evident with the Derrick Rose trade and the Tosh Gibson signing and I think some of the moves that didn't happen. So he's going to have a voice. And whether that means – like if he were to say, you know, let's let's go by 2022, I want to make this happen, I, I think – uh, William Wesley and, and Leon Rose are, are on board with that. I mean, I don't think that they're 
wanting to wait until you know the end of their contracts to really take a big swing. I think they want to take a big swing before that. So I don't think that would be Thibodeau kind of pushing the timeline ahead, but he certainly has influence over some of the roster moves and how they think about personnel moves. I think that uh, there were moves that he wanted to make in last last offseason that they didn't make. So it's not to suggest that he's pulling all the strings, but he has a voice as he should because uh, he he coaches the team and he has a specific player that thrives under him that he looks for. So to me, it makes sense where you're going to get into an issue is if there's a continuous budding of heads between Thibodeau and front office people and then there's, you know, kind of bad blood. I, I, I don't think that I haven't gotten any indication that that's happened yet. They're winning. There's no reason for there to be any bad blood. But it just it's always a, there's always a possibility when there's a loud voice, influential voice and the coaching staff and then the front office. Can you confirm if Kyrie Irving is indeed a Muslim now? He said he is. I mean, I he uh, he said it the other day. Right. He had a. And yeah. he said that he is fasting, right, for Ramadan. And, uh, and you know, covered Ennis Cantor, who who did the same. Who, who I, believe, I believe he fasted for Ramadan. And yeah, he did. I, I can't imagine. I how, think during the conference finals, which Hakeem Olajuwon used to famously do, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, the, the toll that that takes on your body in the middle of such an important stretch of I believe Schroeder. I believe Schroeder too. Schroeder as well. Yeah. So that I mean that level of uh, commitment to uh, something you believe in. I mean, to me, hats off to Kyrie, Ennis, Hakeem, anyone who who shows that commitment to something that they believe in, because that's that's a big sacrifice. And Ennis, I remember if I remember correctly, continued to play well. Hakeem obviously did, and uh, and Kyrie has. So uh, remarkable. Yeah. Um, if the Nets reached a team that was really challenging them, do you think they would swap Nick Claxton, who's clearly better at this point than DeAndre Jordan, to the starting lineup and get him more minutes? I found that odd how how loyal they are to DJ. I, yeah, I think that's a that's a product of his. It was initially a product of his friendship with Durant and Kyrie Irving, but then they had gone away from DJ uh, when Lamarcus Aldridge was here. DJ DeAndre Jordan got several DMPs, but now Dola Marcus Aldridge. So I don't, I I don't think that they would go Claxton over Jordan. Uh, in Maybe the playoff. more for Blake. It you know it's the thing that I always wonder about for them, kind of looking ahead, and you know you probably have thought about it too. How do they match up? With Embiid, I mean, Embiid to me will just crush them, and that's that's what they're going to have a tough time if they you just have to outscore them by twenty. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's what you make, have to do because make Philly take bad threes. <laughs> right, right, right. Like that that matchup, I look at, and then like looking ahead for that for the Nets, like Anthony Davis. Like, how do you slow Anthony Davis down if you're Brooklyn? So I think you're going to have to rely on DeAndre Jordan to a degree because big, strong body. Um, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's going to come in and, and, and make a significant difference on defense, but look at the roster. I mean, he's the best of, of a group of, of not ideal options for slowing down those elite big guys. Yeah. Do you, if Blake balled out, do you think they would look into changing that buyout rule? Cause I know some people were unhappy with it with once you get to this tipping point, you got some guys who just go there because it's a big market another guy who signs a super max and then abandons his team who could have been 500 
And then everyone wants to join the, all these big names. Yeah, I think, you know, there's always going to be complaining, chirping um, from teams who are losing these players or small market teams who think that, you know, they're at a disadvantage here. But Bobby Marks, like, put together a list and kind of put everything in context about the buyout market. He said that uh, small market teams actually had done the bulk of the signings of these guys recently. I think Milwaukee had several. And so that it's kind of a, uh, inaccurate to say that these guys are going to big markets. I think the draw is the uh, title. The, yeah. Go chasing around yeah, Marvin Williams and, and Matthews. They all want, they all went to Milwaukee recently. So there's that argument. Right. Um, so I don't something know. Something maybe particularly unlikable. Like I grew up in New York city and I don't know anyone who's a Nets fan other than the Northern New Jerseyers. Um, and so, you know, I think there's this, there's this sentiment that this is fabricated. This is like the little brother of the Knicks and they just brought in all these guys who is the, is the fat Joe story true <laughs> that Kevin Durant was willing to come to the Knicks, but Kyrie Irving wasn't and fat Joe begged Kyrie to come and change their minds. I know Fat Joe did some recruiting. Uh, <laughs> I know he did some recruiting leading up to that free agency period. Uh, and we know Kyrie was set on the nets at a certain point. I know that the people with the Knicks still felt that they had a shot with Durant, even after Kyrie had settled on the nets. Their thing was, we have to get somebody else here to, to get Kevin here. So uh, I can't fully confirm the, the, those Fat Joe details. But, but you've heard that rumor. Yeah, it aligns with it. Definitely aligns with um, the way things played out. You know, these Durant and Irving uh, have said now that you know they made their minds up earlier in the season, and uh, and so they they may have, <coughs> excuse me they may have, uh, but the Knicks did not. I don't think the Knicks had that same read that Kevin Durant has made had made his mind up in March. Um, I would love to see a 30 for 30 or a oral history. Of, <laughs> of, I'm sure we'll get that in about 10 years. Maybe we'll get the truth then, maybe not. But it's just fascinating. All the factors that were uh, going into those decisions and the aftermath of those decisions, just uh, it, went, it branches in so many different directions. I, I know we got to get you out of here. I got one more question. Yes, sir. Um, do you, James Harden and Blake Griffin have – uh, party boy reputations. Do you know if they've been reining that in at all this season or are they enjoying New York city nightlife? You know what? I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, if they were out and about, you'd probably see it in page six in the post <laughs> and I haven't seen anything. Um, uh, you know, obviously with COVID that's the one thing about this year, the league's protocols, they've so strict with everything, their guidelines, they're so strict with everything that I don't think there's a lot of opportunity to socialize and, the only way that this NBA season was going to work was to make things so strict for the players and the support staff for the teams. And, you know, that's, I don't think there's a much opportunity to do much socializing. Um, and so maybe that's why we haven't seen Blake or James uh, on the front page of the New York post. We've seen them on the back page of the New York post, but not the front yet. Uh, no page six items there. I promise I'd ask this one last one. Yeah. Who, who was your mentor at the daily news? This is oh, I promised this to a person who wanted me to ask you this. Uh, such a good question, man. I had, uh, so, there was several people there that I learned so much from, uh, if I'm, if I am going at the top of the list for writers, especially beat writers, Frank Isola, 
That's uh, who. That's who no wanted doubt. me to ask. Yeah, Frank's the best. Uh, yeah. uh, he he taught me so much when I worked with him. I learned so much by watching him work. He was he was fantastic to me. Um, I you know I, uh, can't thank him enough for all that he did for me, advising me and, and let me learn from him when I was there. So Frank, top of the list as, as far as writers, uh, editors. Leon Carter was fantastic, uh, but Frank, yeah, certainly. Uh, influenced me in, in many different ways when I got to spend time working with him. Um, I wish some days I wish that I could go back, you know, whatever, however many years ago to doing uh, sidebars when he covered a game at the garden. We had a lot of fun doing it. If there was a game seven on, on one channel and there was you and him with true serum in each other talking about the old days, I'd be torn on which to watch. <laughs> 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 oh man, we would have if we got Frank, Mark Berman, uh, Steve Popper, Alan Anazone, Stefan Bondi, and I'm forgetting other writers, but guys who have, who have covered the Knicks for a while, we would have a lot of fun uh, doing a roundtable someday. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that for the next uh, next podcast with uh, Dave Early. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll let you get back to it, and we'll be monitoring your tweets. Uh, if you have anything to plug, real quick. Yeah, just uh, weekly, we, we do a show at SNY called The Putback. It's our digital NBA show. Comes out uh, every Wednesday. We try to peel the curtain back a little bit about the Knicks, the Nets, and whatever is going on in the NBA. And uh, certainly just continue to, excuse me, check out SNY.TV, our website, for all your Knicks and your Nets coverage. Is that named after Knicks' favorite, Ennis Cantor? <laughs> you know what our guys came up with the name um but i will say with i wasn't involved in the process but now i'm, I'm happy to say yes it was named after ennis one of the one of the good guys in the league all right good luck getting through security at both stadiums if you have to go in <laughs> thank you dave always all good right. to talk hoops with you man you too take care